Uh, hello, Working Within listeners and viewers. Ecstatic to be sharing another season three episode with all of you. I believe this is the third episode, so we've already got some number patterns going on, three and three. I'm really excited because season three, as I've mentioned to you, as Working Within has mentioned to you, um, is meant to be an expansive season for Working Within because we are really excited to be having new types of guests on the show who are sharing even more expansive perspectives than were shared, you know, in previous two seasons, mainly being, you know, peers of mine who who had similar experiences to me or um, we related really, really um, easily. And so this episode of season three, I'm so excited to be inviting Judge Shannon Fryson on the show. Um, Judge Fryson is someone who I've had the honor to meet through a mutual friend of ours, mentor, really for me, um, and is just someone that I uh, read read bios for, saw um, LinkedIn profiles and speeches, and really admire uh, her strength and passion in kind of advocating for the causes that she cares about, especially as her um, with her position in the Massachusetts Superior Court. So. Uh, I don't want to steal any of her thunder. Uh, today, we will be talking about some of her journey, her path with mental toughness, a bit more about how she's learned to be a, an advocate for social causes while still being a, a person and a human and holding the title of judge as well. So, um, Judge Fryson, please, I don't, I don't want to steal any more of your thunder. Please go ahead and introduce yourself to the podcast audience. Hello, my name is Shannon Fryson. I'm a justice of the Massachusetts Superior Court. This is my 13th year on the bench. Prior to this court, I spent about four years on the Boston Municipal Court, and the rest of the time has been on this court. Prior to that, I was practicing law in Massachusetts, criminal and civil, but mostly criminal. And Prior to that, I was on active duty in the Marine Corps, um, doing Marine Corps things and being a judge advocate and prosecuting in that setting. Prior to that, I was in school and I went to Georgetown for law school. Um, I went to Harvard for my undergraduate studies. And I'm from Chicago originally. So I've uh, transplant to Massachusetts from Chicago, but I've been here long enough now that I call it home as well. Um, I'll leave it there. That That's probably a good enough snapshot. Yes, it's a great snapshot and it just shows, I think, I don't want to project here. We're all projecting all the time, yes. But I think it just shows um, your work ethic and dedication uh, to go from Marines to law to justice just to judge <laughs> um so i'm excited to kind of delve into those experiences with you could you also share your zodiac sign with the audience my zodiacs i'm a taurus ah, okay steady wins the race okay stubborn uh, i'm not sure what all the other traits are but i know that stubborn is one mm -hmm. of them and steady and loyal and focused I think those are. I think those are. I think those also describe me as yes. well. We are very pro astrology on um, the Working Within podcast. So thank you for sharing that. Okay. Oh, it's question time now. So 
that was your introduction. That was the easiest part of this interview. <laughs> uh, so when we first decided on mental toughness, and we kind of had a conversation to get there, of course, you know, what came to mind for you? What experiences have shown you that, oh, my mind, it is my mind over matter? Just about all of my experiences have shown me that. In particular, uh, my time in the Marine Corps really brought that to light and into focus. I think that type of training, that type of work and atmosphere really shows you who you are uh, physically and mentally and, and what you can do, things you might not have thought you could do and things you might not have thought you could get through. So that was a, uh, a big learning experience in terms of mental toughness in the Marine Corps. Could you give an example of an experience you had in the Marines or many that just really pushed you to that edge and just made you really challenge yourself and then overcome? The, um, it, well, in terms of the training environment, uh, just about all of it <laughs> was was pushing me, but in particular, um, you have a lot of time that you spend in the field, what we would call in the field, uh, in in Marine Corps training, particularly officer training, and you may it may be a few days, it may be a week or more, in which you are um, outdoors carrying out some uh, maneuver or exercise uh, that is mimicking wartime conditions. And when I was um, in training at the basic school of the Marine Corps, the it was a winter course. And so that time spent outside is particularly difficult uh, in the dead of winter in Virginia. And so um, you learn a lot about yourself and the people around you and, and what you can do and what you can withstand. What did you have to tell yourself in those moments? Because, you know, I, I know I communicated to you, this to you separately already that, you know, my dad is in the military, so I get it. I have not experienced it, of course, but I totally get the complete mental like transformation that occurs with folks who have been active duty. Um, and I know my dad, you know, he he's just so like, he's almost so too selfless right now because of his, <laughs> his own uh, mindset shift there. But I know he has like several mantras, you know, he loves his country, he, he would do anything for it that he's repeated to me through my life. I'm wondering, do you have any like mantras that just help you get through those times? and now and back then? Well, I try to think about uh, all the people who have gone before me in, in, in this particular endeavor, whether it is becoming a Marine officer or some particular aspect of that, that training and education, or whether it has been in the practice of law, uh, thinking about the experiences that people before me have had and and a lot of which were more, way more difficult. You know, if you were coming into the Marine Corps uh, or serving or training in the Marine Corps at a time when um, black people were 
just being allowed to serve. That was a totally different segregated experience where you had to go through those um, injustices as well as the difficulty of the training and the work itself. In, in, in law as well, I think about people who have come before me in the practice of law, in judging, who have done it at times when um, our faces and our identities were less welcome than they are now. And I try to keep those experiences in mind and say, you know, um, like the Marine Corps um, saying goes, if, if it's not raining and we're not being shot at, it's an easy day. Mm. Um, it's an easy day, no matter what's going on. And so I try to keep that in mind at all times. And, and right now is another time that uh, we can all think about that in, in things that we're doing. And if we consider ourselves to be having a bad day, um, we are at least not at war and in either Ukraine or in the vicinity in which um, there is active war fighting. So uh, those reminders help me get through the things that I go through in, in this job and in past jobs. Yeah, thank you for saying that. I, <laughs> it's so funny because the military lifestyle is very hard to explain. I think you just explained it very well, but it's very hard to explain, you know. Uh, ultimately, I've thankfully now have the words for it and have like processed it, like being a military brat in therapy, you know, all of that. <laughs> like, uh, it, what it means is that death, to me, death was always around the corner, almost, you know, like it, it could happen, uh, anything could happen. And we signed up for that. Like I signed up for it by virtue of being my father's daughter. Um, and because of that, it, in my household, at least, it just meant that everything was is, is a higher standard because at least it's not this kind of like you mentioned, like, you know, there are sacrifices that my dad learned to make at very young that are nothing to him. And that would be everything to someone else. And so I think that just whole culture of, you know, discipline with the physical fitness, with mental toughness, with sacrifice service like loyalty to your team and yeah brigade there's just a lot of values that are learned from that environment and that have helped me at least i've never had to serve um and i'm grateful for that and it's helped me a lot in in just working so and, a, and that's a very different environment death is not necessarily around the corner um i also wanted to pull on that thread that you mentioned about blackness which is super important to like hammer over and over again because it does add a layer of complexity to your experience my experience um and you mentioned that you know it serves as another layer of something to be tough about because it just adds more more challenges in some cases um and so i'm wondering like how have <laughs> Yeah, the question is just over and over again, how do you do it? Like, um, how has your path to now judge um, as a Black woman, how have you been able to navigate that path with the lessons you've learned from your time in the Marines? It's, it, it, it all uh, plays together. You know, the type of judge you are is 
based on your background, your experiences, um, both just as a person and as a lawyer. And all of it rolled up uh, sort of comprises who, who you are and, and how you operate on the bench. So the lessons, you know, from school, from the Marine Corps, from my time practicing law in Massachusetts and in the Marine Corps, um, all serve to form uh, my philosophy of judging and how I interact with people from the bench. So it's, it's a constant work in progress based on my experiences. Yeah. Do you feel like there have been stages? Like, could you assign chapters to uh, what you've learned about yourself along the way? <laughs> oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, there, there, there are absolutely stages. And I, I think that right now, I'm 51, I'll be 52 next month. And looking at people who are, say, half my age and um, the, their challenges and their endeavors and what they're about to go through, I realize there's no way for me to impart to them all of the knowledge, all of what I would like for them to know uh, before beginning the journeys that they're on. But you really learn constantly through life. And no one, in my opinion, is a consummate anything. You, you, you're consistently learning through life. Um, even if you're a judge, you're still learning law. Um, no matter how long you've been a lawyer, you're still practicing and you're still learning. And so um, the, you know, at some point in my life, uh, say in my 20s and early 30s, I, I really didn't even talk about where I went to school, um, what my background was. I was a little shy, uh, if you can believe that. <laughs> I was a little shy about, um, totally being myself, talking about myself, talking about my skills, talking about my education, talking about my background. And it really took other people to say, "What? oh, you don't even have any um, stickers on your car that say, you know, Harvard, Georgetown, Marine Corps, you know. And it really, it really didn't hit me, you know, how, how modest, I was and humble um, and nothing is wrong with either of those two traits but I think as black people uh, we are probably too modest and sometimes too humble about our accomplishments our skills our education, our intelligence, um, and we should promote ourselves a lot more. And so at some point, um, I sort of came out of that stage where I was, you know, sort of outwardly proud of, you know, being a Harvard alum, being a Georgetown alum, uh, being a Marine, you know, these, these things that really uh, formed me. 
And even coming onto the bench eventually, even since I've been on the bench, I've still been in stages. You know, as a young judge, you or young or new judge, you may be a lot more timid, a lot more he uh, hesitant to uh, make certain rulings, take certain positions, um, to speak even in a, on a, in a forum like this. And over time, uh, I have gained a voice that I think is necessary to this court, necessary to the communities that I serve, and necessary to the whole Commonwealth um, in, a, in a way that I and other people uh, may not understand right at this moment. You know, it may be years from now that the significance of my presence and my voice uh, becomes clear. So um, every, I think everyone's life is is a series of stages and and mine is mine is no different it has certainly been that yeah that's amazing i agree life for all of us is a series of chapters i find myself thinking about that so often like memoirs for example like all of us have them and they're my favorite genre book actually especially after i graduated school because i wanted to i want to solve life a little bit so Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. And also um, about those points of like expressing yourself, being proud of who you are, because again, I do think like pride can get such a bad rap sometimes when it, it can, it's absolutely necessary. It's when it's too much pride. I mean, but pride is not inherently like bad or evil to have, especially for yourself, especially as a black person, especially as a black woman. <sighs> don't mm -hmm. get, don't get us started on that. But no. <laughs> Um, that in addition to like you, uh, being an advocate is how I would describe it. And I don't want to speak for you, of course, but, um, to have the tenacity, persistence, uh, clarity to be able to speak for yourself and then speak on behalf of others in what you believe in or what you think is wrong with things that, that could be changed. Kind of how you mentioned, like, you don't know how your presence will live on and your legacy, but you know, I think you are, are doing what you can now and that's very admirable. Um, so anyway, I said all that, I would love, like, could you share with the audience what, how you approach advocacy right now in your role and outside your role and, and some of the things that you're working on um, that just like show, are, are extensions of what you care about and are proud about of yourself? Well, as a judge, um, in general, I'm no longer an advocate in the way that you are as a lawyer um, and people who are either representing folks or pushing um, certain issues or postures or ideas. So I have to be uh, take a more neutral stance as to most things. What I am an advocate for um, is the education of Americans in terms of our history and the focus that we now have on racial race relations, racial history, and the effects of bias in this country. So in, in those respects, uh, I guess I am an advocate. Of course, that's not for any one particular person or thing, 
but an advocate of us uh, doing better uh, in this country when it comes to race and bias. So that in each of these settings, including court, um, we have better outcomes, more fair outcomes. Yeah. More fair. More fair for the Commonwealth, as you said it. When you said that, I was like, oh, yes. Yes. Um, and you also mentioned just being proud of who you are. Uh, my mentor let me know about you because first, you have articles about you about being super tattooed. Like you, you are a tattooed judge. And so um, could you just tell me more? And, and also we have short hair, like these things are not to be, you know, I would say underemphasized um, because they require individuality. And so could you just say more about how you've learned to be okay with being who you are? I think that's something I'm still learning how to do. Um, and especially with such a visible position. I'm still learning it too. Um, again, I don't think anyone is uh, perfect at it, not even in their own um, authenticity or stepping into any role that they have fully. I think it's always a work in progress. I believe I've definitely gotten better at it and I'm more vocal and outspoken about it. Um, but it has taken a while, like you talked about the, the stages. Um, I didn't come onto the bench with my neck tattooed. Um, and I didn't do that while I was in school. And of course, some common wisdom for students is to, um, or at least when I was a student, is to you know, not get tattoos and piercings and, and things that were considered weird or um, unprofessional, I'm going to use that term, um, until you sort of get to where you're going, know what type of work you're going to be doing and whether that's important or not. And I think given the visibility of this job, it's certainly one of the jobs in which uh, people, judges and other people who work for the courts are concerned about their appearance and want to look a certain way and dress a certain way and appear a certain way for court purposes. The um, age-old stigmas against um, tattoos, I think, it has to become a thing of the past. There are so many assumptions about people with tattoos. Oh, you must be a biker. Oh, you must be a gang member. You must be a criminal. You must be a, you know, you don't must be anything because you like to adorn your body. You know, it's not very different from jewelry that you wear and anything else that you wear just because you like it. Um, and it certainly has no impact or bearing on how you do your job or what you know or how good you are. Um, and so I think that my, um, my tattoo artist name um, is Matt Driscoll. And he has his own shop in Salem, Massachusetts called Ninth Realm Gallery. And um, he is a true artist who tattoos, but he paints and sculpts and does all types of art. And one thing that he is so excited about 
about his work on me is that I am on the bench and I am showing that uh, tattooing, tattoos are universal and they are a thing of beauty and they are a personal choice that don't have anything to do with your profession. And he, is, he and I are excited about um, my display of that kind of art and trying to eradicate that type of bias as well. And so, um, as you might imagine, a lot of people who come before me have tattoos. And I think that in general, that's taken as a negative thing going to court, but it should not be. Um, again, I, didn't have, I don't have cases that are about tattooing. <laughs> the cases are about something else. And that just happens to be another thing that people can attribute some bias to. And, um, not unlike other attributes that people are biased against, it's irrational. Yes. No, you're right. Sorry. <laughs> but you're right. It is irrational. I just wasn't expecting that word, but you're right. Um, yeah. The tattoo thing. Um, first, since we're talking about mental toughness, if you've never sat in a chair, getting your arm, back, whatever, tattooed listeners, viewers, That'll teach you some mental toughness as well. I had to practice my yogic breathing when I got a snake on my spine. I was literally just taking deep breaths <laughs> in and out like I was doing yoga because it was bad. But anyway, um, not to take a... It's a bit of an ordeal. It's a bit of an ordeal getting a tattoo. Yes. That one especially. The others are okay. But yeah, so that's some mental toughness. But also what you mentioned about tattoos, um, again, I... How, yes, when, I, that's something I actually battled for a long time because I love art. I, tattoos are expressions of art. They're expressions of yourself. They're adornments. They're jewelry. Like you mentioned, they just happen to be permanent, but they're not even permanent if you really don't want it to be. You know, they just happen to be permanent. And I feel like that adds to the stigma as well. It's like, oh, that's there. So you're stuck with that. Actually, I have this. I'm happy about yes. having it, you know? Um, and so I just, I am grateful that you mentioned that because I've had to be, um, strict with undoing my own biases with tattoos to allow myself to do that because I love them. I love art and I love tattoo artists. <sighs> okay. So we're talking about being tough, right? And the, I mean, we really went there because we started talking about needles and permanent ink. But <laughs> on the other side of that toughness, there is softness. You know, the the universal principle of, of, of opposites. Have you found ever that the toughness has gotten in the way of you being softer or more vulnerable or whatever word fits there? You know, that that is the opposite of just having to bunk, bunk, bunker down and do something or stay focused or forget how you feel about something to get through, like on that, that winter test you mentioned in the Marines. Are there moments that have made you realize, like, sometimes that toughness, gotta leave it behind? Well, I think it, it is sort of, you know, an, an opposite trait uh, sometimes to um, compassion and empathy. It can be, it doesn't have to be. 
But again, uh, because of my background, my upbringing, I have um, been able to use it, but not have it um, be overwhelming in my life. So there is always room on the bench for mercy and compassion and empathy. Uh, no matter what the people before you um, have done or are accused of or have been involved in, there's always a, a place for that. And um, it's not on display in every single case and every single matter. But I think as judges, we, we, we should not lose sight of, of those qualities that we were taught in kindergarten. Uh, you know, some people say you learn everything you need to know in life in kindergarten, in the sandbox, how to treat people, how you want to be treated. You remember how other kids made you feel. It didn't matter what they're saying, it's about how it made you feel. And that carries um, you into, into all aspects of life. And I think into any work, and particularly work like this, which is about human beings. Everything that happens in this courtroom is a human endeavor yep. of some sort. Mm -hmm. And there are some commonalities amongst humans that from the bench, I think it's very important to remain uh, cognizant yeah. of. And um, to not be, to not consider myself so high up that I don't understand human nature anymore. Um, so I try really hard to to keep that in mind. And the people around me um, help me do yeah. that. Humanity, it, it's so important and so easy to forget about because it can be taken for granted because we are all human. Yes. And we assume we're being humane. No, no, no. So yeah, thank you for expounding on that. And to think about to tie in some themes of we've talked a lot about personal development through the lens of I would say like mental habits, mental m mindset, mental toughness, mental fortitude, whatever word you'd like to choose for it, listeners. But also um, that wellness piece, which has to do with kind of like being comfortable sharing yourself, being comfortable sharing your values. How do you? How are you able to unplug from having such a human job? Because the, the the humanity I, c I could imagine um, is taxing. And especially as someone who's also, you know, an advocate for education about bias and, and which um, is personally, like that's something we personally deal with in a, in a very taxing way as black women. So I'm wondering how do you like recharge that battery and keep doing what you do every day? It's very tough. Uh, it is, it, you know, you said the humanity is taxing. I, that's a good way to put it. That, that pretty much sums up this work. Um, the recharging for me happens at home um, with my fiance. It happens with my six-year-old daughter. Uh, it happens with my family who are mostly in Mississippi. Uh, whom I visit a lot. It happens with my network of friends 
from Harvard, Georgetown, Greens. Um, people, the people I know keep me grounded and sane. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I read somewhere that the people around you reflect you. Like if you were to add them all together, you know, not people are not numbers, but get the image here. Like that is you. So that. Yes. Yes. I agree. I've definitely learned a lot about that transitioning from school to real life. <laughs> it's very different in the real world. I'll just say mm -hmm. that. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, um, Judge Fryson, we are approaching the almost end of this interview. And because of that, I want to ask you one very important, it's going to sound weighty question, but it's not. I just want you to go with your gut on it. <laughs> um, if the listeners and viewers took away one thing from watching this interview, from meeting you virtually, from um, like listening to this conversation, what would you want that one thing, that one takeaway to be for them? Life is short, do your thing. Uh, whatever that thing is, I can't stress enough that the time, you know, your 20s are gonna go by like that. Your 30s are gonna go by like that. Your 40s are going to go by like that. Um, and I'm in my 50s trying to slow it down, but it doesn't work. And so whatever you aim to do, get to doing it. Get to doing it. I love, ooh. Yeah, that's going on the podcast graphic. <laughs> whatever you aim to do, get to doing it. <laughs> I'm serious. You're laughing. I'm serious. Get to doing it. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you got to. Get to doing it. That really resonates with me. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to maximize my time. Okay, well, Judge Fryson, thank you so much for your time today. Um, it, this has been awesome. I'm excited for listeners, for you to see it. Haha, <laughs> I obviously got to have the conversation before you're getting to hear it. So I'm feeling grateful right now. Um, how should listeners look to connect with you judge well i um have social media which i try to use um to get conversations started to educate people about the courts and how we do business and to be accessible uh to people in that regard so you can certainly see me, hear from me, reach out to me on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, um, on TikTok, oh, even. Indeed. You can pretty much reach me on any social media. I'm, I'm basically Judge Fryson on all of them, so pretty easy to find. And... Um, I hope to uh, continue to build as broad a network as possible and to hear from as many people uh, in the communities, in the community I serve and in other communities as I can, uh, because I'm still learning and growing too. So, you know, comment, uh, tell me something that I don't know. 
or that I hadn't thought about because it's back and forth. Well, this has been wonderful. Uh, Judge Bryson, thank you so much for your time. Again, I know I've said that like three times, but I mean it. And I am so excited that the listeners will be able to listen to this soon. Listeners, I hope you heard what she said today. If you want to do something, get to doing it. That's what we've been saying this whole time. <laughs> but anyway, um, thanks for listening if you made it this far and viewing. And we'll see you soon in our next episode. Awesome. Thank you. And thanks to Jeff Livingston for connecting us.